Hello and welcome to the UBP podcast. My name is Peter Kinsella. I'm the Global Head of FX Strategy at UBP. And today I'm joined by Gurpreet Gill from Goldman Sachs Asset Management. Uh, Gurpreet is a, a macro um, a fixed income strategist, and she's going to give us her outlook um, basically on, on both the fixed income and foreign exchange world uh, in today's podcast. Gurpreet, thank you very much for joining. How are you doing today? Hi, Peter. Doing great. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Very, very welcome. So, Gurpreet, I guess we'll we'll get stuck in and we'll kind of uh, discuss a lot of the, the moves that we've seen um, in FX and on rates markets. And I guess I'll get started by looking at the data deterioration that we've seen in many of the, um, the larger economies. So if we look at the Eurozone, uh, China, United States and the UK, we've definitely seen a deterioration in data and particularly in economic surprise indices more or less since sort of June of, of, of this year. Um, how has that data deterioration affected your views on sort of the, the traditional high beta G10 currencies, the, the Aussie, Canadian dollar, Kiwi, et cetera? Yeah, it's a great question. But I guess before I outline our views on those currencies, maybe we can take a step back and, and just take stock of the macro backdrop. Um, and so we think the US labor market report that we got on Friday for September was a clear illustration of the unfriendly macro backdrop that we're investing against. And so in that report, you saw weaker than expected increases in jobs, and you also saw a rise in average hourly earnings. And broadly speaking, the main culprit for the growth downgrades and the upside inflation surprises that we're seeing at the moment has been issues on the supply side of the economy. Um, but we would caveat that it's not all doom and gloom. There are still some positive factors for the global recovery. Um, so first of all, the Delta virus wave continues to recede, and that should sponsor a recovery on the services side of the economy, which is still incomplete. Um, secondly, the private sector is sitting on a mountain of excess savings. That's an unusual seat at this stage of the recovery. Um, and then thirdly, financial conditions are still broadly accommodative and the fiscal impulse is still positive because there's a lag between fiscal policy and the growth impacts. Um, and so how does all of that shape our view on high beta currencies? Um, I think I would say at the outset, given the complex macro backdrop, um, of moderating growth, higher inflation, and incrementally hawkish central bank developments, we actually have moderate exposures to currencies overall and to interest rates for that um, matter until we've got greater clarity on what macro and policy path that we're proceeding down. Um, but within the currency space, we do see value in more commodity-oriented currencies that we think will benefit from higher energy prices. Um, so the Norwegian krona is a key beneficiary, for example, of the latest commodity inflationary shock. Um, and the Norwegian bank there became the first G10 central bank to deliver a rate hike. So we are overweight the Norwegian krona versus the euro. Um, we also see value in the Canadian dollar versus the euro, and that's due to our dynamic currency signals that looks at things like flows. Um, and so that signals turn positive on the Canadian dollar. Um, and then lastly, we also um, see scope for the Australian dollar to appreciate from here, given the Australian economy is now moving beyond um, stringent activity restrictions as that delta wave recedes. Okay, great. So, so kind of a, a a very kind of I would say varied backdrop, and and uh, certainly uh, a more nuanced um, nuanced outlook for the the high beta currencies from from yourself. Um, I guess you know we can't really refer towards the the, the broad outlook without referring towards the, the Fed and what the Fed has has done in recent uh, in recent weeks. And I guess at the September meeting, the Fed was 
pretty much as hawkish as it could have been regarding an explicit end of tapering and then sort of raising the dot plot. Um, what are your thoughts on U.S. yields and, and then consequently on the dollar, if I may ask? Yeah, it's a great question. I think among all the central banks, the one central bank where we do think we could see a shift in stance in the coming months is the Fed. Um, and that's because at present, most investors don't expect rates lift off until tapering concludes. Um, and in the September FOMC minutes, we more or less got confirmation that tapering will commence in mid-November um, and it's expected to conclude in mid-2022, after which rate lift off is on the horizon. But we think that a sooner conclusion of tapering could pull forward rate hikes, and that would present upward implications for the dollar and, and would have implications for rates as well. And, and reasons that we think that could potentially happen is because at present, all three key elements of the inflation process are sending hawkish signals. So firstly, inflation expectations are firm. And in the latest New York Fed survey of consumer inflation expectations, one year ahead, but also three year ahead, both rose to their highest level on record since that series began. Um, and then secondly, the composition of inflation is also starting to um, become firmer and broaden out. So in the September CPI inflation data, we saw that rent, um, rent experienced their fastest pace of inflation since the 2006 housing bubble. And that's going to be a noteworthy development for the Fed. Wow into consideration. Yeah, and that's because rent prices are not only more cyclical, they're more persistent. And so we do think policymakers will take note of that. Um, and then the final element is firm wage growth. Although I would say that is the element where we think momentum could moderate in the coming months if labour force participation improves. Indeed. So, so I guess then really, you know, if I, if I look at the currency market, certainly that, you know, the narrative of, you know, higher 10-year yields um, certainly is, is beneficial for the likes of dollar-yen, and we do see higher dollar-yen. What I find interesting is that the, the front end of the curve, the two-year part of the curve, hasn't really discounted an awful lot compared to the Fed's dot plot. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Why is that? And, and do you think that the dollar should appreciate a bit more as we price in a steeper front end? Yeah, I think what happens with the dollar is somewhat related to the inflation narrative, and um, that comes down to what is the driver of inflation. So if inflation is rising because of reasons other than good growth, then the dollar would perform well. Um, and so we are actually moderately overweight the dollar at the moment. Um, we're also overweight the Swiss franc for that matter, because that's another currency that seems to be benefiting from the stagflation concerns in the market. Um, and perhaps because the Swiss National Bank can simply curb imported inflation risks by allowing its currency to appreciate. If, however, we head into 2022 and inflation is rising due to good growth, then we think the currency implications will be determined by central bank reaction functions and other macro fundamentals like current account positions. Um, and so if you assume the inflation outlook remains contained in places like Europe and Japan, then we'd expect that environment to favor high beta currencies like the Norwegian krona and the New Zealand dollar, where central banks are already engaging in rate hikes. And the dollar implications will depend on the growth differentials and, and the policy outlook from there. Sure. But you are right out that so far, the Fed pricing is, is one market where you could see um, expectations for rate hikes move higher from here. Yeah, indeed. And, and I suppose speaking of rate hikes, we've got the Bank of England, which is which has recently come and uh, I would say more or less confirmed the November rate hike. Um, what are your thoughts on the BOE? What do you think they, they're likely to do in terms of rate hikes? And what, if any, implications do you think that's going to have for sterling? 
Yeah, when it comes to um, Sterling and Taylor, at present we're underweight. We were actually overweight at the start of this year because we thought valuations were attractive after 2020 and given the reopening um, boost from vaccine rollout. And then in the summer, we went underweight because of extended valuations and greater potential for upside elsewhere. Um, in recent weeks, we've seen that the pound, or sorry, recent days, we've seen the pound has performed well, and that's perhaps because the market is assigning greater weight to a hawkish Bank of England development versus stagflation concerns. But as we approach that November 4th Bank of England meeting, we think that either hawkish expectations will recede or stagflation concerns could resume, and both of those would weigh on the currency. Now, the challenge for the Bank of England is that Growth is moderating, inflation risks are high, and one of the biggest areas of uncertainty is the labour market. Um, and the latest data did show that the labour market appeared to be healthy and tightening um, into the end of the furlough scheme. But we don't yet know what the impact of the end of that furlough scheme will be. And the Monetary Policy Committee at the Bank of England itself is divided on that. Um, so on the one hand, there's a view that furloughed workers will be quickly absorbed back into the labour market, the unemployment rate falls, and wages would rise. That is a hawkish policy development. But on the other hand, there could be a period of temporary unemployment and friction. Um, and I think restaurants are one example where you could see that. You and I have probably been out to restaurants in London recently and noticed that there's greater use of QR codes that reduces the need for waiting staff. And so that could have implications for the labour market if it's replicated in other sectors as well. Yeah, indeed. I suppose it's what's what I find interesting from the BOE's perspective is what's the rush, right? Um, uh, and I say that in the context of three months from now, we're likely to have a much better idea of what's happening on the labour market than we do today. And I think that would prob probably be, for me at least, the key components. But I guess when we have inflation expectations as measured by five-year break-evens, roughly 4%, um, you know, it, it's not like the BOE has much, much wriggle room, is it? Yeah, on that point, actually, I would note it's not until December that we have a read on the October labour market report, which is the first labour market report after the furlough scheme. And so it is a tricky period for the Bank of England, but overall, we think that the MPC will want to see more evidence on inflation expectations, the furlough unwind, as well as the broader slowdown in demand before it does commence any hiking cycle. Yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting period for the BOE. And I, I suppose what's interesting as well is that pre-pandemic, we were talking about a neutral equilibrium interest rate of around 1%-ish in the UK. Um, so if the BOE goes ahead and does you know 40 basis points and, and bring the base rate to 0.5%, let's say by, by February or March of next year, there's not really an awful lot left for them to do or that they can do. Um, it's going to be an interesting period for certainly for, uh, for central banks. Um, speaking of other central banks, um, the outlook for emerging market currencies, I think, is very, very interesting in the context of higher inflation, but also a slowing China and, of course, uh, some dollar appreciation. Um, I'd be really interested to hear what your thoughts are on, on EM and um, you know, who are the winners and who are the losers in, in your view. Yeah, I guess as is the case with all EM assets, whether it's rates or currencies, EM is a heterogeneous opportunity set, and so a lot of our views are idiosyncratic in nature. Um, I think, broadly speaking, I'd say we are constructive on Central Eastern European currencies. So we like the Polish Schlotty, we like the Hungarian Forint. Um, hiking cycles in those economies are already underway. Um, in September, we saw in, in Czech 
that the National Bank delivered a 75 basis points rate hike in just last week. Poland commenced its rate hiking cycle. And we think higher inflation in those economies is going to support further rate hikes, which bolsters those currencies. Um, we're also overweight CNY, and that's actually a structural view um, because we think that the currency is going to benefit over time from inflows into Chinese assets amid index inclusion. Um, and then coming back to the commodity-oriented complex comments earlier, we also see value in the Russian ruble. Um, we think a range of factors, um, including advantages in carry, a healthy external balance, um, and higher oil prices will support the currency there. Um, but we do um, we do dislike some currencies. Um, we are underweight the Turkish lira, for example, and that is a weak ESG story. So we think that weak governance practices that lead to unorthodox policy setting um, presents downside investment risks, even though the lira is cheap um, and it has high carry. And just yesterday, we observed the market implication of weak governance practices. You saw the Turkish lira weakened on news that the president dismissed three um, monetary policy committee members. Yeah, it's it's really incredible to see a a, um, a currency with an 18 percent interest rate selling off, you know, um, and and it, it do, I suppose it does show you. And I mean, the lira has has long been, I would say, a very idiosyncratic story, you know, certainly of of, of trend weakness. Um, well, that that's uh, I guess. Listen, Gurpreet, uh, uh, that's that's really fantastic. Um, thank you for all of your uh, your your time today. Uh, we greatly appreciate um, uh, your views, and I'm sure our listeners uh, will will find it insightful. So thank you very much indeed. Thank you.